HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Castor and Pollux, maker of America's number one organic pet food, Organics. Look for their newest line, Pristine, the only complete line of pet food made with responsibly sourced ingredients. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org slash pets. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. If you're a magazine and you want to cut through the online clutter and grab your readers, what do you do? Maybe you get rid of all the clutter. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners. Today is Thursday, November 2nd, 2017. We have listeners tuning in from 65 countries around the world, about a million strong a month, listening to Heritage Radio Network, the little independent radio station broadcasting from the backyard of Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Every week on Thursdays at 11 a.m., we come out to the shipping container to make Tech Bites, a show where we talk to influencers and innovators in the food tech space. And today, those innovators are from Bon Appetit magazine, who just this week launched a brand new homepage web experience. And it's pretty interesting, and it might be revolutionary. We have Carrie Polis, who's the digital director. Carrie, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. And we have Brendan Bryant, who is one of the product managers. Thank you for having me. And for those of you who aren't uh, perhaps on the tech tech side of things, product means technology. It doesn't mean product like in the food world where that means pizza and tomatoes and food. Yeah. The intersection of the editorial, engineering, design, business, just being that point to really usher everything along. So product, different kind of product. Also different from the hairstyling world where product means gel. <laughs> also here today, we have David Tadashore, our engineer and HRN studio manager. We like to call him Mission Control. That's me. 
How are you, David? Well, the mission uh, was almost going off the rails uh, the last couple of days, but we're, I think we're back on track. We are having some uh, electrical problems here in, in the studio. Um, electrical problems with the board, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're safe. so I'm I mean, safe. There's, there's no danger, but um, yeah. I'm having flashbacks to the Simpson episode where Homer like spills coffee on the control panel or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Like that kind of thing? Was it that kind of thing? the stakes are not as high as a nuclear power plant here, but Pizza still and radio, pretty high. Though. Pizza still and radio. Pizza and radio. We are going to start this episode of Tech Bytes like we always do, going around and asking people about apps, their favorite app, a new one, maybe an old one that they love. The only rule is that you're not allowed to talk about an app you own, invest in, or work on. David, are you still on your quest? <laughs> yeah, you better believe it. But um, I, I've sort of moved on and, and tried to find a solution. Well, I guess I've been trying, but uh, I I downloaded this app called Tunes Go by I think Wondershare or something, and it it seemed to be fine, but it turns out I have to pay for it in order to get full functionality. So I can only copy I think ten MP3s onto my phone before. The paywall. How much is the paywall? Me back. Um, it's like it's expensive. It's like twenty or thirty bucks or something. Is that for the year, for the month, or what's uh, no, the story? No, it's it's just for permanent uh, use of the app. So twenty bucks for perpetuity. Yeah. So I, I should clarify, it's not a mobile app. Like this is a desktop application that allows you to uh, transfer files to your phone and like manage the file system on your phone. 20 bucks for perpetuity doesn't sound too bad. Is it unlimited? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess probably I'm going to end up just buckling down. I mean, what if it was $1.99 a month? No, I don't like subscriptions. No, but I mean, I'm just saying relatively. (laughs) If it was $1.99 a month, you know, that'd be like 10 months. Yeah. 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 No? No, I'm probably going to end up doing it, I guess. if uh, Because this, the issue I'm having seems to be a known issue with Android and it's just going to take an update to... To Android to fix it. So, okay. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to wait around for that. What's the name of the file transfer app? Uh, Tunes Go. Tunes Go, and it's for Android. Yep. Okay, so possibly a solution. Possibly, we'll see. Okay. We'll report back. All right. I'm glad you're solving it. Me too. Carrie, do you have an app that you use a lot? What's your favorite? I'm going to be so boring and say Instagram. That's okay. That's right. completely legitimate as an app. Um. Yeah. I I spend arguably too much time on it, both for personal and professional reasons, I'd say. Um, I follow a lot of people in the food space to see what they're cooking, where they're eating, and I I do find it a source of inspiration. Are you able to segregate when you're on it for work and when you're on it for personal? Do you have different accounts, or is it just anytime you're on Instagram, it's justifiable? I'm going to say anytime I'm on it, it's justifiable. it is a huge part of work strategy, but there is also an encouragement among Bon Appetit staffers to be posting on your personal account as well. So yeah, it's kind of one of those not sure where personal ends and professional starts. Okay, fair enough. We did a couple shows about Instagram because to point, um, it is pretty important. One of the first shows we did in 2015 was about the effect of Instagram. And we had a magazine restaurant editor and a New York City restaurant publicist on talking about how in a very short period of time, Instagram came into the world in 2010. So in a very short period of time, it has absolutely impacted the way 
chefs make food, the way customers find food, the way food gets copied and replicated around the world and um, how journalists find things and critics find things. And it, it has really changed uh, a lot of the behaviors in the industry. So. Yeah. And I'd say some of that is for the better and some of that is for the for the worse. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've all seen the food fads that have sort of taken over Instagram. Krona. Yeah. And then I'd say like the... The, the mermaid toast was a thing about six months ago. Well, there's ago. mermaid, there's yeah. unicorn. And I'd say, like, that kind of takes deliciousness away from food sometimes, which I'm less cool with. But then there's also amazing discovery moments where you're really excited to try a restaurant because you know they're serving cool food. One of my favorite Instagram quotes about the food industry is from Dave Chang who said that he hates Instagram for food. This was a few years ago, and he said it in a, over the course of a conversation, that he thought it was terrible for restaurants and for cooks because people see dishes. He said it's just like porn. They think because they've seen it, they can do it. But that's not the same thing. Because they've seen a dish, they think they can make it, and it's just terrible. I sort of agree, but I also think it does certain accounts do actually encourage people to cook and to try recipes. And I think that's cool and powerful and and a great thing. And a little bit more, I'm thinking from a home cook than a restaurant perspective there, though. Yeah, very different. Yeah. We also did a show um, with an intellectual property attorney where we read through the terms of Instagram. We talk about apps on every show. And we also have had shows about online security and personal security and these different types of things. And I'm sure you didn't read the terms of agreement when you downloaded it. You just clicked yes. We all just download everything and click yes and never read them. But it's absolutely fascinating. All the things that you give away and that the app can do and control and have access to on your phone. Um, So it was sort of the juxtaposition of people getting upset in the media and on social media when things, you know, roll through Congress, like being able to sell your IP history when... Just earlier that day, when you downloaded an app, you probably gave away much more than that for free file transfer. Did I, you read the terms and, and conditions, Dave, when you downloaded your free app? Nope. See? Anyway. I've, I've never read terms of service. So we, we've talked about Instagram a bunch on this show because it has impact on our lives. How about you, Brandon? Do you have an app that you're particularly enamored with right now? Right now, I'm using our sister brand's app a lot, uh, Epicurious, mm-hmm. to just try to discover new food to cook. Might not be as good of a cook as Carrie. So, going through recipes, and since they also have Bon Appetit recipes, just going through there on my phone, seeing what I can find, and cook. That's handy. If you look... Um if you look very closely and do a good search, I have a couple recipes on Epicurious. Oh. I have a chicken recipe on Epicurious also, which what kind is, of you know, um, it's a roast chicken. It's a roast chicken recipe. A long, long time ago, Epicurious, you know, like 1.3 or something like that back in the 2000s, I wrote a daily column called The Corner Table Monday to Friday on Epicurious. Wow. Yeah. Long time ago when Dirk Standen was the editor. Wow. Yes. And so I do have some uh, recipes and articles kicking around in the way, way back. I'm going to have to look it up. Yeah. I I think I have some comments and a good rating. 
nice. I have like a coconut cake recipe, and which is gluten-free. I have a gluten-free coconut cake recipe. Ahead of your time. And a roast chicken recipe. So chicken and gluten-free. Hashtag winning. Yeah, still, <laughs> still incredibly popular today. My app um, is one that I've talked about before, but I'm going to call it out again because it's the holiday season officially, I feel. We're November 2nd. People are going to start traveling. It's an app I just used recently, and they just, um, with the new update, added some really fantastic features, and I still use it and love it. It's called Hopper. It's for travel. It's for airline travel. You punch in a ticket that you're interested in watching. I'm interested in going from New York to Paris on November 2nd, returning on December 2nd, and it will watch the flights for you so that you don't have to keep watching them and get into that cookie situation online and flight search. And it will send you, it'll give you a schedule of when it thinks the ticket prices are going to be lowest and by which point you should have purchased your ticket. And then it sends you updates telling you what the current ticket price is. And when it hits a low point, it will send you a text alert saying, your ticket is $550 round trip right now on this airline. We, see, we, we suggest you buy because you're not going to see a price this low. And I've used it for the past maybe year and a half, and it really works, and it works really well. And now they've just added a component where you can select to be flexible dates. So up until now, it was your hard date of departure and return, but now it's sort of more flexible. And they're also adding hotels. So it's amazing, and especially now with all the travel that people are getting ready to do for the holidays. It's really good, um, domestic and international. Can you like indicate if you have certain airlines that you prefer because you have status or, or anything like that on I it? have not noticed that, but you could take a look. But it well, gives you the list. It will give you the current price for everything also. It'll identify the cheapest ticket, but then you can also just look at the list. That's a snapshot of all the prices right now. There are one or two airline carriers that don't have an open feed for their for their ticketing that they can't track. I believe Delta is one of them. Mm. Um, so you have to sort of keep an eye on that. But I have found that most of the airline ticket prices rise and fall together so that if one is really low... Most likely, they're all pretty low. And the other thing is, depending on where you're going, if you're doing international travel, we, I travel a lot to France. I know that when I see an Air France flight or a British Airways flight, British Airways probably means Delta also, because they co-share certain places. So Hopper, H-O-P-P-E-R. It's pink. It has a little white bunny that's hopping to find you a good ticket. It's great. It works. Um, so give it a try. So now we are moving on to the brand new redesign and launch of bonappetit.com. That's B-O-N-A-P-P-E-T-I-T.com. It's pretty fascinating. It happened earlier this week. And some of you may remember earlier this year, we had Amanda Shapiro, who's the editor of Healthyish, which is a, a BA sort of sub-brand that launched earlier this year. And... Healthyish had this design and layout to it. And now everything is sort of rolling over to this design. And if you're in front of a computer and you want to go online, go online and check it out because that'll make it easier to follow along. But in essence, typically you go to a website, any website, and you have a huge navigation, you have rows and rows of content, you have sidebars of 
more content and more menus and more choices and you scroll down and you keep scrolling and you keep scrolling and it's more and more stuff. And sometimes it's just too much and it, it might be counterintuitive, but how do you break through the clutter? How do you break through all the distractions? You can try and reorganize things in a better way. You can try and highlight things in a better way, or you can simply get rid of it all and just put one thing on the page, which is kind of what you all have done. Um, so Brandon, I'll start with you because you're sort of, you know, integrating, as you said earlier, all these different components. You know, at what point did you all start talking about this idea? Because it's also very counterintuitive and it's not something that we're seeing right now online. Yeah. The health age we began talking about the brand, the brand identity, and the way we actually wanted to work online last year um, in November and really seeing if we could get higher user engagement with showing a little bit less. I think if you look across the web as one of our colleagues, it's hot garbage that you go to New York mag, you go to Buzzfeeds, they're trying to throw everything at you. And with Bon Appetit, our content lives forever. It's not one or two news cycles. So how do we show that to the user? How do we have it very focused? So when we start talking about what do we want the new Bon Appetit to be, we decide to step back a little bit and look at our actual brands within Bon Appetit. And we thought this new brand that we were going to make called Healthy-ish, we were going to really use to experiment, use to inform us on how we're going to go to the rest of the website, since it was a nice little corner and when you talk about experiment, you're talking about changing the visual design that people see so that it's something very different from what they're seeing online and what they're seeing at the other Bon Appetit and Condé properties. So you're talking about an experiment in design and navigation and presentation, not so much an experiment in what kind of recipes or what kind of content, because that was just sort of a... a still the same type of articles and features and essays and things like that. So it wasn't an experiment and this is a totally new kind of recipe or something like that. Exactly. Uh, an experiment, a test in the user usability and UI and UX. And the biggest departure for us was going from a traditional scroll where you just scroll down the page to really forever and ever and ever ever and ever and eternity, ever. infinity, which is great sometimes if you're just looking to get distracted or this uh, single screen uh, scrolling that we've ended up on. It's very elegant. It's, um, you know, for people who aren't looking at a screen right now, imagine a single color background, and then in the center of it, you have almost, um, you know, a rectangle sort of sized like the album cover or hero photo on, you know, Facebook that you would have. And that rectangle is split in two. One side is a photo, one side is another color with the text announcing the article, the recipe, the feature. And so it's very framed, it's very visual, and it's very clean. And you pay a lot of attention to it because there's nothing else to look at. Yes, the the visuals are the one thing that I think we all really wanted to show. Bring the Pompetit magazine has beautiful visuals and the website at the time was falling a little bit behind and really bringing that ethos 
online with healthy-ish or basically or as we've relaunched the website. And how do we do that? Bring in the photos. Everybody loves photos. The Instagram. Instagram. Exactly. (laughs) The Instagram stories, the photos, the Snapchats. How, How did we, how could we display that? Carrie, do you think that the popularity of and the way we consume visual images via Instagram now is part of what makes this new design make sense? Because we're very used to looking at information as a single photographic image now. And we're used to having reading into that, having that be satisfying, um, looking at things that way, and then being able to like look around it or click through or dive deeper if we want more information than that sort of surface single photo. I do think it's related. I think you have an experience when you're on Instagram where you are focused on a single thing. And I think that does relate a lot to what we did with our homepage. I also think the way that we consume media in general has changed so much, which allowed us to take this risk with the homepage. So what would be some of the top changes that you have in mind when you say that? So for the past few years, if you if you do a Google search for something like the homepage is dead, you're going to find a lot of think pieces where people say that no one goes to website homepages anymore because they're getting their information via Facebook, via Instagram, via email newsletters, or via Google search. And so the amount of people that actually go to a homepage of any website is significantly lower. I'm going to, not for, if you're a breaking news site like the New York Times, that might be a different story, but for other more lifestyle properties. That's not where most of the traffic is going. And so we wanted to think about, well, is the homepage dead? And is there a way we can kind of breathe a new life into it? And so I think understanding how people interact with Instagram, understanding how people interact with other social platforms did influence our decision. But we also knew there was a little bit of a low risk in changing up what a homepage means because people maybe don't care about it as much as they used to. Because there's less traffic. Yeah. So as long as the content and the articles and the recipes and the videos are still the same amazing thing that people come to know and and rely on, and people are probably finding them via a posting on Facebook or Twitter or a newsletter or searching, um, it allowed you more freedom to experiment a hundred percent. And in the past, we've just done some initial research into how the new homepage is going. And we have found engagement and click throughs increase by 29% compared to our former homepage. Is that just media people like me on the new launch? Like, Hey, the new thing happened earlier this week. Let's check it out. Let's give it a test drive. Fair question. I don't think so because I don't think there's not a lot of buzz when a new homepage happens, right? Like there's buzz when you break a story. There's buzz when you do something really cool. When you announce a redesign, it's not like thousands of people are flocking to you like, oh my gosh, let me see about this redesign. So it's kind of a subtle shift. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. We are going to take a quick break right now to find out who is the sponsor of this show. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. That means in order to keep the lights on and the mics hot, we rely entirely on our amazing members and sponsors like this one. 
This episode is brought to you by Castor and Pollux, maker of America's number one organic pet food, Organics. You put a lot of care and thought into what you eat. After all, you're a food radio listener. That thoughtfulness goes hand in paw with how you feed your pets. Purposeful pet food doesn't happen by accident. Castor and Pollux scours the earth to carefully select the best organic and responsibly sourced ingredients. New Pristine from Castor and Pollux is the only complete line of pet food made with ingredients that are responsibly raised, caught, or grown. Feed your dog or cat the new standard, like grass-fed beef, wild-caught fish, and vegetables grown without synthetic fertilizers or chemical pesticides. Pristine from Castor and Pollux. Purposeful pet food. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org pets. Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. Do you have a food tech story that you love? Do you have an app that you've just invented and you want the world to know about? Get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. We are very interactive. We are on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at TechBytesHRN. That's T-E-C-H-B-I-T-E-S-H-R-N. Or you can send us an email, techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. We would love to hear from you. Dave would love to hear from you. Please. I would love it. <laughs> Help an engineer out. So we are talking with Carrie Paulus, digital director, Brendan Bryant, product manager of bonappetit.com. They are here because earlier this week, they launched a brand new homepage design and user experience. And it's very interesting it is very single-minded and single-focused. It's maybe counterintuitive to what you see, even on the sister site, Epicurious, which is chock-a-block with every... It's like the kitchen sink and the pantry. Like everything in the pantry, including the kitchen sink, is on Epicurious. And then Bon Appetit is now like the beautifully curated like single fig on a plate. <laughs> so was it difficult to convince people... Um, to convince everyone that this was the way to go because it is so different from everything that's out there right now? I actually think I was the one who was the most nervous. I remember being in a room with Brendan, our creative director at the time, our editor-in-chief, our digital general manager, folks from our design team, folks from our tech team, like all, all the stakeholders. And our design team had presented kind of four different experiences for us to sort of discuss. And everyone immediately went toward our single screen one because it was bold and it was different. And I think I was the only one that was like, I don't know about this. I think I was with you. Yeah. Was that. it the two of us that <laughs> were like, oh, God, we're scared. Yeah. And what was your apprehension? I mean, because it sounds like it was a visceral reaction. It, I don't know if it was a visceral reaction. Or like reaction. your first, your first. It was just such a departure from the web right now where everyone's trying to throw something at you, trying to throw an ad and this design was just completely different. It was the one that, that you present last because you don't think it has a chance. And everybody immediately went to it. And I don't think it took any convincing. I think it took some trust across the art department, the web editorial, sales and marketing, and technology that... This would be a great experience for the user, for our 
um, partners that come on to sponsor uh, different parts of the website and really for carrying me that we could trust each other so much that we could execute this and really knock it out of the park. I think the apprehension was, you know, I'm very consumed with traffic and stats and analytics and having to meet these these goals that are set to me by Condé Nast Corporate. So anything that can put those goals at risk, I'm going to be a little nervous for. At the same time, no one was happy with how things were looking previously. So we knew we wanted to make a statement. So I'm glad that we were pushed to do something different. I'm, I'm really pleased with the results now being on the other side. Do you have any sense or is it too soon to tell that this might be the next thing? And we, when the three of us spoke uh, before the show, we talked about a couple different moments that have in, in media and photography and art that have, in hindsight, become the standard of what we do now a lot in media. One of those is, you know, obviously Instagram unto itself in 2010. BuzzFeed launched their tasty videos in 2015. Um, recipe videos. I mean, could you imagine having a website today that doesn't have recipe videos? No, I couldn't. And <laughs> I, what makes me excited is the idea of these progressive web apps. And I think that is what Bon Appetit is putting their foot into without being fully there. So a progressive web app is an online application that acts like a native application like that you download from an app store on your phone, Android or Apple that has a lot of animations, visuals that's easy to use swipe. That's very performant. And I think that's the trend that most of the websites will be going into as it becomes more popular. And this is our first foray into it. And there's some of the news sites that you can see wired or Washington post that have started to, and I think we're mirroring that without being there. And this could be a trend of a real beautiful, especially content that lives forever um, to a user. So when you say native app for people listening at home, native app means you, when you download the app and it goes onto your phone, it lives on your phone and you can use it without a internet or cell connection because it's native to your phone. It means everything, pretty much everything that you need or most of what you need is going to be on that phone. Many apps need an internet or Wi-Fi or cellular connection to work because they're going to connect back to the home base and then be downloading information or be downloading video or be downloading things. So many of the news organizations or content organizations a few years ago, you know, there's I think for the past few years, actually, a lot of discussion about do you make an app or do you just put everything into having an amazing mobile site that people can use on their phones and they would still need a connection. But if your app's not native, you still need a connection anyway. So in terms of how you all think about that, it sounds like you're moving more towards native apps versus you know, super sites designed and advertised for mobile? I don't think so necessarily. Um, the native apps are a lot of lift. And if you look across 
they're mostly utility apps. And for Bon Appetit, I don't think we're going to need a utility app. And a progressive web app really brings that balance that you could cache it on your phone and you'd still have a great reading experience for the culture or the recipes or those human interest pieces. And I think that's where the internet will be going. I think the end of the day, our mission is to have people have a better food experience, whether that's knowing what restaurant to go to, whether that's cooking an amazing roast chicken for dinner. We want to make sure that we can enrich people's relationships with food. So we need to be wherever people are in terms of how they find recipes. Right now, that's a lot of Google search. That's a lot of social media. So that's that's really where we're focusing energy is making sure we can meet people where where they're already spending time. So when you are taking a look at how the launch is going and the new design, and you talked about how already you had some lift in traffic to the homepage, which is great. In the digital world and in the publishing world, you know, there's always talk about, you know, getting feedback and then pivoting and iterating. In the time frame of feedback to iteration and pivoting and how many cycles you're going to go through varies widely from group to group and and scenario to scenario. So in, in your world, how quickly are you going to be letting user engagement and feedback and numbers drive any adjustments that you'll be making? Is it going to be a week-to-week thing? Or are you going to let it percolate for a few weeks, a few months, a quarter? We, I do a lot of social listening, seeing what people are tweeting about, commenting on Facebook or on Instagram when it comes to how they're interacting with the site. So if we see an increase in people complaining about something, like that's something that we immediately address. If it's sort of a, a general thing, like there's there's no kind of set time or, or pattern, but I'd say we're very deep into our analytics just in terms of what sections get traffic, what looks different from a year ago, what looks the same a year ago. So it's all about recognizing patterns. And I think we sort of choose to address based on priorities. I know that's kind of a general response, but there's there's so many different kinds of feedback that are coming to us at all the time. Like, I think Brendan does a really great job of keeping kind of priority one to three level for everything that we're dealing with. How do you do that? Because prioritizing uh, feedback in a to-do list is a important skill to have and not always so easy to acquire. It's probably the hardest part of any product manager's job. It's... It's a balance, the balance between revenue, I think, and really we're the advocates of the user. And if a user can't get to that recipe because a read more button is broken, let's take that read more button off. Let's make sure that an ad loads quickly enough so that we don't have to show ads anywhere else on the page. And it's a real balance of making sure the user can see it and, you know, there's still revenue behind it. Do you get caught up in these um, sort of small specific fixes and and queries on the day to day that you, how do you balance taking care of those sort of small real time things that there must, I mean, just the nature of things happen all the time up against doing the longer term build and the longer term launch, which obviously takes time. I mean, we're in November now. If you started this conversation a year ago, November, is that kind of how long it took to go through all the different stages and launch it? Yes. It's 
you have to you have to look at the day to day, and you have to balance the engineering priorities and our other priorities against the longer term. You can't just drop everything and just build a brand new website while the other ones crashing and burning. Like you you have to balance that out and looking at the way it works, you know, if this conversation started a year and a half ago, the website might not look the same as now. There's constant adjustments through what are the trends online, colors, you know, something like ADA, uh, American Disability Act, um, accessibility for a website. That's not something that I think most of the web talks about two years ago. And now as more people are looking at the web to use readers and zooming in, how can we adjust our design for that? A lot of things to consider. How do you, how do you, how do you, so many things to consider. How do you reach a stage where you say it's finished, publish, push, go live? I don't because you could be tinkering. Do. You could be tinkering with it, forever. and we still are. Like we we launched the site, but you know we had a meeting yesterday where we went over twenty different things that still need to happen. So the the tinkering never ends. And I think the thing about working on the web is that it always feels like a game of whack a mole, where <laughs> yeah you get one down, but something else pops up. I mean I've I've worked at Bon Appetit for four years now, and I feel like every six months I have a new job, not because my job description changes, but because the internet changes and it's impossible to rest on your laurels. Like there's just never, a, there's never a dull moment. That's interesting that you feel like you have had a different, several different jobs from the same seat. Yeah. And that's what keeps me engaged, right? Like I'm, I've never been bored at this job. I've been bored at other jobs. It's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're coming close to being out of time, which is amazing. And it's nice to have these, sort of under the hood conversations with the people who are making the stuff that we that we use and look at every day. I'm going to ask you both just real quickly in terms of this redesign as a concept in terms of, you know, the single focus and the images and the way the navigation works. Do you think this is going to be a thing? Do you think a few years from now it will say remember when the same way we do with, you know, BuzzFeed or Instagram or I think, Some of the other online trends? I think that lifestyle websites will become a little more curatorial and less, let's put everything out here at once. I think for so long, a lot of traffic strategy at various publications was to do as much as possible. And now people are pulling back and realizing that fewer pieces with bigger impacts actually move the needle more. So I think that will extend to web design and content and user experience and homepage experiences as well. Or at least I hope that it does. Brandon? I think Carrie said it best. I think that the web needs to slow down and people crave that. They don't want everything thrown at them. And the trend of only a few pieces of content scrolling so that you see something that you read will brings in that user engagement and that's what users want i think that's very different than the news websites that you're trying to find everything out at the same time and for those lifestyle brands the slowed pace will evolve do you think it's exclusive to lifestyle though i mean we live so much of our lives 
online and in the digital space. And, you know, lifestyle brands are only a percentage of that when it comes to, you know, news, you know, shopping, home management, life management, all those kinds of things. Do you think people are, you know, moving to, you know, kind of Marie Kondo their digital life and just get it down to the essential things? Yeah, I think we're seeing a lot of acknowledgement that people's relationship with the internet is a little bit unhealthy. And I think everyone wants to have those moments where they feel like they can put their phone away, they can close their laptop for a couple hours and not feel antsy or not feel like they have phantom vibrations going on on their phone <laughs> when nothing, no one's getting in touch with you. So I, I think that extends to content as well where like, I, I think we all just need to take a deep breath sometimes and I'm not I don't I'm not the best at it I think all of us just want to find a way more than we have well at the end of every show I ask my guests for a piece of advice for our listeners something they can use in real life the two of you really sit at one of the centers of of digital and online publishing and you get to see lots of things and you consume lots of things and I think people are still very much captivated by Instagram. It continues to grow and grow and grow and become, you know, the place where people live a lot of their lives and get a lot of their information. You two come from sort of different points on the digital media wheel, but both of you, same question. What's your best advice to people for making an amazing Instagram feed, something that you would follow, something that would captivate you? What's the, what's the secret? Have a point of view. Um, have a voice. I love following people that are funny or, or just come from a certain perspective. If you're trying to do everything, I don't want that. I'm actually following people because they have a focused opinion on food or flowers or ceramics or, or news. Um, I want to go deep on someone's personal passion. And using that editorial curation, I would say, mixing the content types. I think that's the greatest thing about uh, Instagram. You can do the live video or the videos on the top. And then within the feed, you have the videos and different versions of photos, either the horizontals or the square one-by-ones. Really using the different forms that Instagram gives you and really harnessing that. So creating a diversity of the types of, of images, the collage, the slideshow, all of that to sort of like mix it up a little bit. I think also inherently um, people capture things or look at things in a different way if they think they're using them in a different medium, right? You would stage a photo differently than you would stage a video or capture or light or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. It depends. It goes back to what what's the story you want to tell, and there's different ways of telling it and showing how. Okay, so listeners, that's some great advice to how to blow up your Instagram feed. Maybe Carrie can find you and follow you for work reasons. <laughs> 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 I want to thank Carrie Paulus, digital director, and Brendan Bryant, product manager, both from Bon Appetit magazine. Bonappetit.com relaunched this week with a beautiful new homepage and user interface. Click through and see how the articles display and play out. It's, it's really, it is kind of refreshing and clutter-free. If you want to follow Bon Appetit on social media, they are Bon Appetit 
for Twitter and on Instagram, they're at Bon Appetit Mag. If you want to follow Carrie on Instagram, she's at Carrie Polis, C-A-R-E-Y-P-O-L-I-S. And if you want to follow Brandon, he is at Brendan, B-R-E-N-D-A-N underscore Dylan, D-Y-L-L-O-N. I want to thank everyone for coming out to the shipping container today to be on Tech Bytes. Tech Bytes is hosted and produced by Jennifer Leutzi, engineered by David Tatashore. Our amazing theme song is by DJ Uptown Nico. It is called Nomada CPU Track. We are live every Thursday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. After that, we're available on demand at heritageradionetwork.org and on demand and on subscription for iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Simplecast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Come back and see us next week. For listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>